0: amen thank you Camille it was here it was here I felt like I to. they don't let me uh, participate in worship uh, from the stage so I felt like that was uh, my opportunity to shine called Immeasurably Listen, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be with you. We're in a series called Immeasurably More, and uh, taken from Ephesians 3.20, that says God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for your life, for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors, for your co-workers, that God is able, capable, powerful, enough to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. That's where we've been the last few weeks as we've kind of been combing through this series. And today we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 18. A few weeks ago, we gave our 10 dreams as a church of what we're dreaming and asking God to do. And one of those is that uh, we would be a, a church and a people that pray, that God would move us, that we would see the formation of a 24-7 prayer ministry where across our city, multiple churches, across our valley, that there are people regularly praying. And I think it's important for us as we look at Luke chapter 18 is, is going, who is it that we're praying to and what's the purpose of prayer and why are we praying? And what comes to what we're going to do in Luke chapter 18 today? I want you to think for a second, what comes to mind when you, when you think of persistence? Maybe you think of a child asking you over and over and over and over again for the same thing. Maybe you think of the phone call of the telemarketer who calls you and just will not simply take no as an answer. If you're in a a sales job here, you, you probably understand what it means to be persistent, right? You call 100 people, you talk to 10, and you get one to respond, if we're lucky. This is what it means to be persistent. What is something that you've been persistent in? What is something, when we kind of define persistent, that you've continued in a course of action while facing opposition? Persistence means going forward even when the circumstances are holding you back. What's something that you've been persistent in? I think for myself, ministry in the state of Utah has required persistence. It's a hard place. Met with a friend this week. We sat down over lunch, and he's just sharing the struggle of what it looks like to be a pastor and a planter and see a church rise up in a city uh, that is, is somewhat opposed to the good news of Jesus that we're seeking to share. What is it that you've been persistent in? Maybe it's been schooling or persistent in your pursuit of a certain career or persistent in your schooling or persistent in a relationship. What does it mean for you to be persistent? When have you experienced a time where you had of persistence where someone was constantly pursuing you pursuing you for a job pursuing you for a sale, pursuing you for a relationship and the story of the parable of the persistent widow Luke chapter 18 1 through eight is all about being persistent but it's persistent in in terms of that we normally don't think of being persistent in prayer. I think a lot of times when, if you're like me, when you think about persistence, the word prayer doesn't typically come to mind. In fact, Sam Storms, pastor in Oklahoma City, says, the easiest thing about prayer is quitting. And if we're honest with each other, we can come in the room today and sit across and say, hi. My name is Justin Bindle, and I'm a quitter, (laughs) right? If we're honest, continuing, persistent in prayer is difficult. It's challenging. It's hard. Being persistent with anything is really challenging, really difficult. And today is not just about being persistent, but being persistent. When we look back at the, I'm excited to jump into this topic And the reason why is, when we look back at the early church, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. They're the account of Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. He's buried. He rises again from the grave. He appears before multitudes of people, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven, and the early church is sitting there like, what do we do now? And that's where the the church began to create movement. And if we look back at the early church, one of the things that we're going to discover is the early church was committed to prayer. As we read through the book of Acts, you'll see that there are only a few pages that don't specifically mention prayer. Prayer is seen as the foundation of the growth of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, and... Prayers. In the same chapter, Luke shows us that there's a direct correlation between prayer and the success of the mission of the early church. In Acts 2.47, just five verses further, it says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you're a part of our church, we want to see the reality of Acts 247 happen in our midst. That day by day we would see people come. Experience the reality of who Jesus is. The good news of Jesus would flood and saturate their life. And they would give their lives to our heart. And we would see Jesus transform them. We would see people saved day by day. That's our heart. That's our desire. But not only was it something that created movement, we see that prayer was also the agent of, of enabling the apostles to have their threats. They're being persecuted. It says in Acts chapter 4, 31, it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. They're being persecuted here. And he said, And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. This is their request. That you would extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant. And when they prayed, they were there together. The place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word with boldness. God began to just meet this. And so at the forefront of the early church, what we see happen in the book of Acts is a centrality, is a central focus on prayer. They were people of prayer. They were a desperate people. They were a needy people. And because of that, they were a prayerful people. Persecution was also at the forefront of the early church. Many pastors who are aware of Of Christian persecution in other parts of the world, tell stories, pastors tell their Christians with their Christian friends who live in the United States. And as pastors tell their friends of the persecution they're facing, most of us as American Christians, we ask and pray that the persecution would subside, that the persecution would go afghanistan. We pray our, our, our friends in Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan, we pray that, that many of the threats and persecution that they're facing that that it would go away. But what's interesting is most of the persecuted congregations have been known to ask their Christian friends not to pray that the persecution would end. Here's why. Listen to this. The pastors in these persecuted areas are afraid if the persecution ends, they will end up becoming like the church in the United States. Sadly, to these pastors, American Christianity is spiritually dead. We may never see the things the early church saw because we will never pray like the early church prayed. We as a church lack a commitment to prayer. And so my hope and my desire this morning is to help urge us and cast a vision for what it looks like for us to be a church that prays. And I hope that you don't come this morning and you feel shamed. Maybe as I read this quote and we talk about that American Christianity is dead because we don't pray. I hope this morning that you would come to see the great gift of prayer that it is, that we get to commune with God the Father, that God the Father desires to hear from us, and that ultimately we look in this text that He's not like the unruly judge who is bothered by our request, but He loves us and He desires to hear from us. So that's our hope. That's our desire, is that we would cast that type of vision this morning, that we would that we would be moved to a type of commitment of prayer, that we would be people who pray, that we would call people to pray. So let's read this text together. And it starts off like this, Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. And it starts off like this, and he told them a parable. What's a parable? A short story that makes a point. This parable was was something that, that Jesus was trying to teach, and so he told them a story. This was a, a familiar way of teaching for Jesus. He used story. And he said he told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. His motivation in telling them, Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8, was that they, that they would be people of prayer, and that through prayer that they would not lose heart. That's that's the intended consequence of this passage, is that we would be moved to be people of prayer and that we would have hope. Now, I don't know how you're coming in this morning. Maybe you're walking in the doors and you're continuing to see the effects and consequences of COVID and you're just sick of it. I think about our family. We just lost another loved one yesterday. We think about the pain and experience. We think about the division, the challenges that are existing in our world today. We think about the division that we're experiencing in our world today. And I believe that most of us, if not all of us, walking in this room this morning, need a message of hope. We need hope. And so, my goal, my hope, is that when we get to the end of this passage, that your life, heart, soul, mind would be hope-filled. That you would see the good Father that we have. And that you would be motivated to pray. He said in a certain city there was a judge. And he describes this judge. He gives the characteristics of this judge. He neither feared God nor respected man. Doesn't sound like a very good judge. If there were qualifications to be a judge, I, I don't know that these are them. But these are the these are the the description, and I think it's interesting that we're given some characteristics of the judge. We're given some some insight into the personality of who this person is that this widow is going to bring these requests to. That this is a man who doesn't fear God. That this is a man who doesn't respect men and women in the city that he represents. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming in to him and saying, give me justice against my ass. He lost his life yesterday. Now I think of my friend who lost his life yesterday. And I think about his wife who's a widow now. I think about all the things that are going on in her mind and all the things that she's needing to do, the responsibilities that are falling upon her. Think about it. What does it look like for for her to to get their business in order, for her to consider the, the needs of their family, for her to consider how she is to provide for her family moving forward? This is a woman who is desperately in need. And she's coming to a judge. An unruly judge. A judge who doesn't fear God and not respect man. Asking for help. I think most of us in that situation would discover it's it's hard to be asking this man over. I think about coming and persisting and asking this man over and over and over again to meet her request to give her justice who will stand for her who will hear her case it would be hard to continue in that knowing the nature and character of this judge but she kept coming to him and I think the question that, that surfaces in my mind is, is that a description of our prayer life? And maybe for some things, yes. Maybe for the salvation of a loved one. I know story after story of family after family who has prayed, who has sought after God who has persisted in prayer, God, save my family member. Transform their heart. Show them the reality of the gospel. Maybe there's been a certain need in our life and we have persisted in prayer. Is this a description of us? Do we keep coming to the Lord? What I think about is relationship thrives through communication when I think about the relationships I have when you think about the relationships you have surely we all have friends and relationships where we can kind of pick up where we left off and we had some friends come in town this week and I haven't seen them in, in probably a year and they walk in and, and we're able to pick up right where we left off but a lot of times relationship thrives on communication and I think that's why 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. Steadfastly, says, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And we see this, this rhythm over and over and over again. She, she comes in verse 3, give me justice against my adversary, For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. And we don't know. There's no idea. I mean, did she come to him 30 days in a row? Did she stand outside the the city gates or the city hall and and declare over and over and over again, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Obviously, it's to the point where he's like, all right, enough's enough. And we've been there, right? Where we just give in. And sometimes we think that God the Father is that way. That we're just a Jew. It's like Justin I already know what you want I've already heard you is that the way God the Father hears us absolutely not what we see in this text is this this judge he doesn't and qualities of this and I think many of us when we knew the character and qualities of this judge we would have quit we would have said it's no use what good is it going to do anyways right that may be just one of the reasons that many of us don't persist in prayer. We, we say, what good is it really going to do? But I wonder how much of our prayers and our quitting is not technique. It's not that we don't know how, but it's failing to believe that he cares or failing to believe that he's actually going to answer. Maybe for us, we look at God the Father and we don't know the character of God. We don't know that God is loving, merciful, caring. We don't know that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to the purpose. We don't know, as Psalm 106.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. We don't know his sovereignty and his goodness. And because of it, we fail to bring our request to him. Maybe we fail to know that he loves us, he cares for us. When I think about my own kids being in need, if they're ever in need, I would want to hear from them. I would want to know from them. When I think of friendships and relationships, and it would pain me to know that you're walking through something and you're unwilling to share. I, I would love to hear from you. Father, who cares for you, who loves you, who desires to hear from you. You're not bothering. Some of us in our self-sufficiency, we, we won't want to bother people. Maybe some of us, we, we, it is technique, and we feel like we don't know how, we don't know what to say, we, we don't have the, the eloquent words, we don't know how to go on and on because we think it needs to be lengthy. But it's not about what you say, it's about your presence. It's about showing up and being present with God. Maybe we're self-reliant. Maybe we're just trying to figure it out on our own, and so we'll think our way out of this rather than pray our way out of this. We see first and foremost the persistence of this widow, and we're called to be persistent in prayer. This woman, but also we see that she is dependent. There is a dependency of this woman. I want you to think, for example, about this widow in her time of need, no one to help her, no one to give her justice. Plan B. She's in need. There's no plan B. There's no other strategy. There's no other plan. Literally the only thing that this widow can do is go to the judge and ask for justice. She's not strong enough to do it on her own. She has no one to help her. She's an outcast of society. All she has is to plead her case. Most of us have to hit rock bottom before we get to that type of place. After we exhaust all other options, then we go to God. And what I want you to see is there's a place of dependency where we come to the Lord First and foremost, that in reality, that we would come to him and see that he is the person, that he is the one that we can come and cast our burden upon, that he is the one who is faithful, that he is the one that is dependent, that is, that is faithful, that we can be dependent upon. Psalm 55, 22. cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 62, 7, on God rest my salvation and my glory, my right, mighty rock, my refuge is God. We see that this is her only hope. My question to you today, that's a, is God your only hope? That's a good place to be. That's a really good place to be. Charles Spurgeon, and I think he describes this well. He says, I think the case was somewhat after this fashion. The judge was sitting one morning on his bench, and many were the persons coming in before him asking for justice, which he was dealing out impartially of a villain, giving always his best complaint. And here comes a poor woman. She had tried to be heard several times, but her voice had been drowned out by others. But this time it was more shrill and sharp, and she caught the judge's eye. She said, my Lord, avenge me of my adversary. He no sooner sees from her poverty-stricken dress that there are no bribes to be had. And he yells back at her, hold your tongue. the fee- I have other business to attend to. And he goes on with another suit in which the fees were more attractive. Still he hears the cry again, my lord, I'm a widow. Avenge me of my adversary. Silence of the court. Due disturbance, he bade the usher put her out because she interrupted the silence of the court. And stopped the public business. Take care that she does not get in again tomorrow. She is a troublesome woman. Long before the morrow had come, he found out the truth of his opinion. She waited till he left the court, followed his footsteps, followed him through the streets until he was glad to get through his door and bade the servants fasten it, lest that noisy widow should come in, for she had constantly assailed him with the cry Avenge me of my adversary! He is now safely within doors and bids the servants bring him his meal. They're pouring water on his hands and feet. His lordship is about to enjoy his repast when heavy knock is heard at the door, followed by clamor, a widow woman who wants your lordship to see justice done to her. Tell her I can't attend to her. She must be gone. He seeks his rest at nightfall on the housetop when he hears a heavy knock at the door, and a voice comes up from the street beneath when he hears this knock. My Lord, avenge me of my adversary. The next morning his court is open, and though she's forbidden to enter like a dog that will enter somehow, she finds her way in. She interrupts the court continually with her plea, my Lord, avenge me of my adversary. Like as I'm reading this, are you guys getting like you're like answer her right? Ask her. He left a little so persistent, and she will tell you her husband is dead. He left a little plot of land. It was all they had, and the cruel neighbor who looked with greedy eyes upon the little plot has taken it. And now she is without any meal or oil for how he would have guarded for food. Oh, if their father had been alive how he would have guarded their interest, but she has no helper, and, and the case is, no, is a glaring one, and what is a judge for if he's not to protect the injured? She has no other chance, for the creditor is about to take away her children and sell them into bondage. She cannot bear that. No, she says, I have but one chance. It's that this man would speak up for me and do me justice. And I have made up my mind, he shall never rest till he does so. And I'm resolved that if I perish, the last words on my lips shall be, avenge me of my adversary. This is what it means to be persistent. Are we persisting in prayer? Are we bringing our needs before the Father? who cares continually without ceasing else. This was her only hope. She had nothing else to turn to. And then the text ends with the reason for faith. The reason she makes this request to the judge is for one reason. She believes the judge can actually help her. She wouldn't plead with the judge if he was unable to help her. She wouldn't continually bring this request. She wouldn't continue to ask for justice if the judge couldn't bring that. He has the means by which to help her. There's a story about Alexander the Great, and it says, a peasant came up to him and said, I need a house. I've been serving you, and I would like a house. Also, I need land with this house. And by the way, I'm having a wedding, and I'd like for you to pay for the wedding as well. And all the noblemen around Alexander the Great are probably going, all right, this dude's about to die, right? You can't come in and make that type of request to Alexander the Great, No one should come into the presence of Alexander the Great with these type of requests. But shockingly, he says, "I'm not disrespected. This man's not going to lose his life. This man has honored me for asking much, because he believes I'm both rich and generous. What an honorable request for this peasant man to come to the king and ask these things of the king and tells him what he believes about the king, that the king is both rich and generous. And this is the way that we are to pray. Martin Luther said, he who does not pray or call upon God and his honor that is due, assuredly does not think of him as God, nor does he give him honor that is due. Our God, church, our God, is both rich and generous. When we ask God to do immeasurably more, we know that he is capable, able, willing to do those things. We received a a request in faith through our immeasurably more site this past week. It said, I woke up early this morning and spent some time praying over the 10 dreams of our church. I settled in on the dream to be a church that is warm and welcoming to those who are far from God, extending love and grace of the Father, along with a church that ushers in God's kingdom for signs and wonders. And they said, my neighbor came to mind. He recently shared a story with us. He received an early prison because of his terminal cancer and has 12 to 18 months to live. What a huge grace in his life, and it shows in the ways that he embraces the simplest things in life, like feeding the birds, dancing on the front lawn, wishing a good day to all who pass by, new freedom. Happiest, most full of life, dying person I've ever seen with this new freedom. We've added our neighbor to our list of names, our family prays salvation for each night. During bedtime. But as I was praying for God's kingdom to be realized in his life, I wondered what more my role could be in that. And I wondered if he would be open to receive healing from Jesus. I envisioned what that would look like our neighbor healed and full of eternal life, proclaiming God's glory by dancing in the front lawn as people walk by. So now I'm on the lookout for ways to be an ambassador of grace and love from the Father to his life, asking God to heal him and bring him near and to give me the faith and obedience to share Jesus with him and offer to pray healing over his cancer. Why would someone pray that? This is someone in our church. Because they believe God to be rich and generous. They believe God can do immeasurably more. They believe God can really bring healing into the life of this person. And not just physical healing, but spiritual healing. So in faith, a person would request that. In faith, they would ask those type of things of God because we believe He can help us. And what's interesting is that the very last verse in this text verse 8 It says nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith will he on earth You know what I believe that passage is asking Will he find us praying Will he find us still seeking and believing that God is rich and generous Will he hopeless not as a people who have grown weary and hopeless but as a people who have persisted in faith and have continually brought our requests and prayers before God. Verse 6, it says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And he's basically doing a comparison here. It says, I neither fear God nor man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice. He said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? How much more will God the Father come to us? And do we need to come to him over and 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 and not thinking that he will answer and not thinking that he will care? It said, will he delay long?" I tell you he will give justice to them speedily. God the Father More than our prayers being about a transaction from God prayers just about being about getting stuff from God it's about communion with God He's our father You and I are his kids. We're his children. He loves us. He cares for us. He longs to hear from us. He is not bothered by us. He's not annoyed. He's not saying, how long are you going to ask me? He's not telling us to shut up or be quiet. But he wants to be with you. When Jesus returns... He'll be looking for those who are still standing in faith, believing. Believing that healings can still occur. Believing that God is still mighty to save. Believing that God can eradicate the coronavirus. Believing that God can end all injustices. Believing that God can create unity believing that God can restore relational conflict. God is asking us to remain in faith and believing in a God that is rich and generous. So my friends, I've called us to pray, but our prayer is just a means to hope. I'm not calling you to go and labor in your prayer with it over and over and just utter empty words. I'm calling you to commune with God the Father, a God who is rich and generous, a God who cares and loves deeply for you. And let's bow our head to be in his presence. Can I pray for you today? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. One of the things I'll share with you is as you just close your eyes and I ask you to do that just to take away all distractions. You know, it's easy for us to be thinking about what, everything that we have coming up this afternoon and what we're going to do and what we're going to go eat and the things that are on the to-do list for the week. But I just want you to pause. And ask yourself, when Jesus returns, and he will return, how will he find you? Faith. Will he find you as one who is remaining in faith? Are you someone who believes the good news of Jesus to save sinners like you and I? That Jesus came for the broken and that Jesus wants to transform and change your life. There's not a person here this morning that is out of his reach, out of his grasp. And I'm praying by the power of the Holy Spirit right now that you would be convicted and convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father but through him. There is salvation found in no one else but Jesus alone. Jesus came to bring us to the Father, but we don't have to wait to come to the Father. Right here, right now, Jesus brings us to the Father. And Jesus brings our requests to the Father. He is interceding for us. So church, those things that you've been praying in faith, that you've been persisting, I hope that you will hear that there is a God who is rich and generous. Would you just bring those requests to him again? He's not angry. He's not annoyed. If you're someone who's here today who doesn't believe, I just pray that you would pause and say, help me in my unbelief. He'll answer that prayer too. We pray for our church. May we pray not because we should, but because of the gift of communion with you. May we see the gift of communication, of talking, that you're not a God who's far off, but a God who came near. You're not a God who holds us at arm's distance. You're not a social distancing God. You're a God who came near. You're not a God who's afraid to catch what we got. In fact, you took it all on. You took on all of our junk and you put it on the cross so that we might be changed and transformed. And so, Father, we praise you, we worship you, and we pray that we will persist in prayer, God, that that we would know the nature and character of our God, that we would be dependent upon God, that we would have faith in God, and because of that, we would not lose hope. In Jesus' name, amen.